This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host. Welcome, everyone. This is the Meaningful Sport Podcast, and I am your host, Nora Ronkainen. Meaningful Sport is a series of discussions on the why and how involvement in sport and physical activity can be an important part of a life worth living. We will also explore threats to meaningful engagement in sport and movement culture practices and ask questions about what we can learn about the human condition through our involvement in sport. The guests are leading scholars in human and social sciences of sport who share their explorations in a scholarly as well as a personal context. If you are interested in the theme, you might also want to check out MeaningfulSport.com. There you can find podcast show notes, read a blog, and access many resources for further explorations of Meaningful Sport. This is the third and the final part of our discussion on meaning in sport with Dr. Matteo Luzzeri. In the previous parts of our discussion, we first explored the psychological studies on meaning in life and meaning in work, before moving to discuss the underexplored area of meaning in sport. According to many empirical studies conducted over the years, human relationships seem to be the most prevalent source of meaning of life for many people. It, however, appears that during younger years, things like personal growth, achievement, leisure, and so forth, seem to provide more meaning in life than some other sources. On the other hand, giving back, spirituality, and so forth, seem to be sources that provide more meaning in life in older generations. Based on this previous research, Matteo proposed that sport might be a particularly relevant arena of finding meaning, especially for young people, and moved on to conducting empirical research in the sport domain. In the second part of our discussion, we explored Matteo's empirical work. It includes developing meaning in sport questionnaire, which is a key contribution to our research community in enabling quantitative research in this area. Furthermore, he conducted a writing intervention with burned out athletes, which was also discussed in part two. In this last part of our discussion, we review the lessons learned from the empirical work, as well as Matteo's thoughts on future directions in this nascent line of research. From the show notes, you will find a link to Matteo's research, which will help in exploring his work further. Dr. Matteo Luzzeri completed his doctoral dissertation in the field of sports psychology at Florida State University. He is also a professional water skier, a coach, and has a very popular water skiing podcast. I hope you enjoy the last part of our discussion. And you've already obviously done a massive amount of work of in, in putting this research together, but I was wondering if you have looked at uh, the actual content of those findings or kind of that would be interesting to take 
the actual writing and do more qualitative research yes. and analysis on those writings to more understand what what's going on there. Yeah, so that's that's step two. Uh, this was definitely something that I want to to follow up on. Um, hopefully, when I when my current job winds down in a couple of months, I'll be able to to dive into that. I have obviously read all the all the writings, uh, mm-hmm. and I have done some quantitative analysis on them. So. Uh-huh. Um, Defending the fact that I was tapping into the trichotomy of meaning, what I ended up doing was uh, analyzing uh, the the words, uh, the the type of words that were used, and I used the uh, what is called the linguistic inquired word count. So this is a um, a software essentially that categorizes written words, uh, bits mm-hmm. of text of any length and categorizes the amount of words and percentage across the totality of words on some categories. It's, um, mm-hmm. it's called the LIWC, and it's something that has been used, uh, is being used quite a bit in psychological research. Uh-huh. And so what I did was I analyzed for the intervention group the six writing uh, uh, sessions, the six writings, and saw, for mm-hmm. instance, if the expressive... Uh, the expressive writing exercise about a negative, like the most traumatic event in sport, would elicit more negative emotion than the one about the positive uh, and uplifting event. Uh, Or, for instance, if the uh, reflective writings would elicit more cognitive processing words than the Pennebacher exercises. So I did this type of analysis tried to see more, more of like a manipulation check if, of, of sorts. So uh-huh. were my writing exercises actually eliciting what they were supposed to elicit? And fortunately, that seemed to be, that seemed to be the case. Uh, but in terms of qualitative work, I haven't, I haven't done anything formally on, on that data yet. Okay. So that would be something that at least I am very much looking forward to hearing when you when you had the time to look into that. And in terms of your intervention, so you mentioned that it was fairly short. If you had all the time and resources in the world, would you look to do something that is of longer time span? Or what what would you do differently if you had all the time and resources you needed? Um, see, it's you might, you might be surprised by my answer, but I would actually make it shorter. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Provided I were to do this study again, because one of the points that in, in my defense that my committee made is that you're already working with athletes who are burnt out and you made the case that they're burned out, like you screened for them. Uh, you, we, can, we can argue about the criteria I used, of course, but I, I went through the effort of screening and taking those who were higher in burnout. So the less, the least demanding of an intervention, the better. And despite my intervention, I don't think I don't think was super demanding because the average time that they spent on these activities was 20 minutes. So 20 times three was two hours total across two weeks. Some mm-hmm. participants even took more. Um, so I, I don't think it was very demanding, but if I had to do it again with burnout athletes, I would probably do it even shorter. Uh, now, if I were to just try to 
increased presence of meaning in sport in athletes, not necessarily burnt out athletes. Um, probably I would either do the same or more, but the, the gold standard would be to, to be in person as opposed to online. Uh, mm. there are, there are studies in other interventions, a lot of like mindfulness intervention studies showing a lot of benefits, uh, from an online um, intervention compared to a non-intervention, certainly, and not a lot of differences between an online intervention and an in-person intervention. But it seems to me that for topics that are these, uh, they're so uh, de demanding and somewhat strange to talk about or to write about, possibly in-person, might, we might see something a little different. Yeah, I mean, as a qualitative researcher, I I definitely prefer to do my research or my interviews that I'm actually there with the person compared to online. But I guess now with the COVID situation, these kind of things are going to be uh, much more difficult, I guess, for for a while at least. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. And I think I think again, maybe again, that's that's the gold standard I have in mind, but maybe it's worth is more worthy of exploring a better online intervention. And I think one of the things that also sparked me to do this is the the economy of it, right? It's it's cheap, it's writing, it's online, you don't have to travel, you don't have to meet someone. I really wanted to see if something this economical in terms of resources, and I would defend even in terms of time, fairly economical, uh, mm. could provide a change. Um, yeah. Maybe, maybe it needs to be, like Dr. Chow said it well, he said it's either a question of frequency or a question of, uh, of uh, dosage, if, we, if one may say, you know, like, do they need to write more? Uh, do they mm. need to write more often? Or do they need to write about something completely different? Um, the third question, I think, maybe is, it's too early to, to get to that question, but the first two certainly need to be explored more. Mm. And I think we are always in a little bit dangerous waters if we start talking about the right dosage of meaning. So, right. so I think meaning is something that is existential and, and it's not like, you know, when you talk about presence of meaning and search for meaning, some people search for meaning all their life and they never find it. And, and for some others, there's it's clear why and how how their life is meaningful. So I think as as researchers, we probably need to be quite humble in terms of what we can do. Oh, for sure, for sure. And probably, I mean, just personally, if I may say, like the PhD experience taught me a lot of humility. Um, I'm not not that I was a bragging person before, but it it put my uh, expectations, as you said, in check <laughs> through those five or six years. Mm, yeah. Yeah. I think some, just reading some of the more critical work in, in organizational psychology as well, that now there is this kind of manager, managers intend to increase meaning in work. And, and there are also the critical perspectives on that, like how much can you interfere with people's like existential sense of what life is meaningful for and and what are the sources of meaning so yeah. i think we are those are kind of things that we always have to be thinking of when we are 
talking about interventions for meaning. But I definitely kind of, I, I see a lot of value in how you are triggering athletes to reflect on why am I doing sport? What were the difficult things in, in my sport experience? How did I come out of that? Did I change? What did I learn about myself? So I, I think just in my view, those would be questions that probably all athletes would do well to sometimes ask them what this is for and what is it worth? Yeah. And I think, you know, when I, when I did my PhD at Florida state, we had a strong applied component. So mm -hmm. we did, we were in a lot of practicums, those, those who were interested in this kind of, uh, professional pursuit to try to become a, cons a sports psychology consultant. And mm -hmm. the few times that by virtue of consultation, we, we, I went with athletes somewhere close to topics of meaning and purpose. Um, I always found the conversations to be profoundly interesting and mm. for the athlete to find those conversations profoundly interesting. So personally, it was even more validation um, that, that I was on the right track even in my research pursuits, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Yeah, it came to my mind when you talked about brief intervention versus a long intervention and you were linking that to burnout. I think if we go back to Mark Nesty's book about existential psychology in sport, he's um, very much talking about existential psychology or, or psychotherapy or interventions or something that probably take a lot of time. So for us to really start reflecting our lives on our lives and our, on our sport, probably it's taking a lot more time than, than doing a mental skills intervention. So. Yeah, for and, sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. For sure. And, and these are, um, incidentally, those conversations always arose with athletes that I'd been working on for a while, not just like mm -hmm. session one or two, like, you know, there needs to be somewhat of a comfort to start talking about these things, almost even more so than the topics that your regular athlete will go to the sports psychology consultant to talk about some kind of like, you know, um, pre-performance anxiety, loss of motivation, uh, inability to perform. Like these are almost like the reasons why you're going to meet the person to begin with. So it's almost more comfortable to talk about that than about the the role of sport in your life or the meaning that you attribute to your sport activity uh, mm. i think that it requires a lot of like comfort and and closeness to to get to that yeah, um trusting relationship yeah for sure yeah yeah and mm. and just a thought that i had as as you talked about the 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 long-term aspect of it one of the things that one of my committee member brought in my defense, which I thought was very interesting, he said, I would have loved to see like a follow-up two, follow-up three, rather than a midpoint. And I mm -hmm. think he had a very strong point because maybe the intervention effect is not immediate and it would make a lot of sense thinking about meaning and also thinking about burnout. Like burnout is, is a long-lasting process and so expecting any intervention other than possibly time off the sport or, or induced rest, um, to make any meaningful effect on burnout in two weeks is, is very 
it's very difficult and possibly with meaning as well. So it would have been interesting to follow up with these athletes, say, two months after the intervention and mm -hmm. six months after and see if there were differences between intervention and, and, and control. Yeah. Yeah. A good study always kind of leaves us with a lot of questions and, and a lot of future things to be done. So if you think of kind of this emerging field of, of meaning in sport from, from a psychological perspective, what would you see yourself like? What would be the directions that you are excited about? Or what, what would you like to see emerging? What kind of research in this, in this area? Well, uh, you, you might have to stop me because I have a lot of ideas. But uh, I think the first thing that I would like to see is um, something that the Meaning in Life research uh, struggled for a while as well, which is better understanding the, the concept of search for meaning. So, you know, like presence of meaning is that sort of like current state of where you are, you know, like how do you perceive your life sport work to be meaningful right now whereas search is more of a future-oriented drive right um mm. but for whatever reason when it comes to uh convergent and con um, construct validity studies with the search subscale um there are i mean i found more issues in sport uh, stiger originally found more issues with the search uh, for meaning in life subscale so certainly looking at potentially other constructs, I'm thinking, of course, like uh, motivation, um, whether to use achievement goal theory or self-determination theory, like looking at some strong theories of motivations in relation to the search for meaning in, in search for meaning in sports subscale um, will certainly be a, a worthy endeavor to try to better understand what it means to search for meaning in your sport. Mm. Uh, I think that my that my original study, which well, I should probably mention, will be on PSC uh, soon. Um, oh, that's wonderful. Yeah, yeah so thank you. Um, that I think that study provides some support uh, for the convergent validity of, of the presence of meaning in sport, but more we need, to, we need to understand more about the search for meaning in sport. So that's right. certainly one direction. Um, the other direction I think would be worthy of exploration is what if the source the, the whole idea of sources of meaning i think that could be so easily transferred to, to the domain of sport we have seen it in life and a prolific line of research there uh, we do see it in in work um you'd be interested even just to i don't know if, you, if adapting a a sources for of meaning in life questionnaire or seeing if those sources apply with athletes as well or compare you know athletes to non-athletes matching the age group see if the sources are different of meaning um that would be i think the idea of sources is certainly could assist in this endeavor um mm. and then uh yes the third one that I'll, I'll stop at three. I don't want to go too many, but the, the third <laughs> one for sure is uh, master athletes. So yeah, yeah that, that one would, would it depends on what would come up, but some qualitative work trying to tap into 
what sport is to a master athlete. And I, I have a specific population in mind. So 65 and up or 70 and up uh, athletes who compete. They, they're still preparing for events. They do experience the declining performance that you mentioned. Um, it'd be interesting to understand what is sport to them. Um, mm. Because if something comes up that is beyond uh, motives that could be explained with, uh, with some of the most uh, widespread motivation theories, then I think that it would provide even more support to the idea of a domain-specific meaning in sport. Um, I think the, the argument that I made with the sources of meaning in life and the achievement-oriented um, sources for young people makes sense. But mm. I'd be very curious to see what emerges from, from master athletes. And definitely master's athletes, uh, are also they are also in an achievement domain. So you can be the champion in, in your age category, obviously. So yep. there is a lot of achievement, but uh, in a slightly different way. So yeah, maybe maybe you will have the chance to do that study as well. So yeah, thank you so much. This has been a really exciting discussion. I think towards the end, I just wanted to mention that you are hosting your podcast of your own. Maybe just tell a little bit what you're doing in your own podcast and, and where the listeners can find you. Oh, yeah. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Uh, I, I've been passionate about this topic for a few years and even just finding someone like to talk about this has been, you know, um, super cool both last year in person and now in front of a microphone online. Uh, in terms of my podcast, yeah, I started a podcast uh, last year. It's called The Waterski Podcast, very simple. Mm -hmm. And um, originally I wanted to do, like the idea is to promote the sport of water skiing. And so the four venues in which I, I thought about doing so, achieving so was through interviews with athletes. I'm a professional skier myself, so I do have access to a lot of high high-end athletes high-end coaches officials like people that water skiers might want to hear from um and then i wanted to do some q a's uh some sports psych related stuff applied to water skiing and quickly i noticed that the interviews were so well received um and so i basically almost do those solely um just because again i have access to the to the community and um, they've just been resonating well with the skiing community. Mm -hmm. uh, so yeah, I think in a few days or maybe even as already passed, it's been a year that I've had this podcast open. Um, after I'm done recording this with you, I'll be uploading an episode actually. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so it's, Wonderful. it's, yeah, it's been going well. Um, it, it, it's been received well by the high end competitive skiers by amateur skiers, by parents of young skiers, and especially what makes me the most proud is by skiers who either weren't skiing for a while and then through, like decided to come back to the sport by the excitement that the podcast gave them, or people that just stumbled upon the podcast because they were online <laughs> and got stoked and decided to try out the sport. To me, that's the the growth of water skiing that I was hoping to achieve and I 
hope to continue achieving um, with the podcast. So yeah, it's the waterskipodcast.com. For the website, you can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, old whatever you listen to your podcast, you should be able to find the Waterski Podcast. Um, and you're, if you're not super familiar with podcasting, you can go on the waterskipodcast.com and, and listen to the episodes there. That's wonderful. And do you have an episode on meaning in water skiing yet? <laughs> no, nobody needs to come. It definitely think, needs to come. I think you are the expert to do that. So <laughs> it would be a very personal episode, that's for sure. But um, yes. maybe who knows? Maybe I'll bring you in so you can help me tease that out. Well, that's actually something we didn't talk about at all. That there are different subcultures of sport. And so I would be surprised if there aren't different ways of finding meaning in in different sports. Oh, for sure. Mainstream sports, alternative sports, nature-based sports, uh, martial arts or fight sports. These also, they all have a different world and different types of meaning. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, like subcultures of sport is a... It is a profoundly interesting topic to me, even beyond research, um, mm. even just a, as an a, as an applied practitioner. Um, one of the first things that I that I find myself wanting to know if I work with an athlete of a sport that I have no idea about or very little idea about is to understand well the language of the sport, which really is also the culture of the sport. That the two are very mm. interconnected. Um, but yeah, like that's that's a super super interesting topic, and water skiing itself has its own very specific subculture of uh, outdoorsy but very strict on rules. It's a weird hybrid between surfing but snow skiing. There's also a bit of track. Like it's 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 a it's a strange but a super fun sport. And we will talk about that in our meaning in water skiing episode. Absolutely. In your podcast. So, Matteo, thank you again so much. I'm very sure that the listeners of today have learned a lot about the meaning in life, meaning in sport, meaning in work uh, areas. Thanks so well, much. Thank you. I hope that uh, listener, listeners will learn as much as I had fun recording this. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Researcher Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcasts or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.